Verse Chorus Versers, here's an olive branch from DL. Don't get used to it. <laughs> Sticky fingers next. Welcome to episode 35 of Verse Chorus Verse. I am DL. With me is Rachel, Sister Morphine Polio. Rachel, <laughs> ha, we don't call her that because of anything weird. We just, it's its just her drug problem. Rachel, how are you tonight? <laughs> Good. So excited. You promise? Yeah. I'm a little stressed okay. out. I know it's fine. You're flustered. I'm flustered. It's so, I'm Why so sweaty. Why are you sweaty. so flustered? Because uh, my camera's not working. And I can't see myself. But I and I don't know what I look like. Oh, yeah, that'd be a little stressful for a vain person. Fuck off. Um, <laughs> also here tonight is Evil, model for the cover of Sticky Fingers, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, how are you tonight? Dressing to the right. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. That was off the cuff. Well done, yep. Evil. I appreciated that. <laughs> We are doing DL's 10 out of 10s. Basically, these are their albums that I have always just held in my brain as 10 out of 10s. And I want to see what Evil and Rachel, if they like them, if they hate them, you know, all three of us have fairly different musical tastes and fairly similar musical tastes. So that's what we're doing. And tonight I chose Sticky Fingers. Before we get into why I chose that, the song that you heard on the intro to this was called Up Comes the Tunnel. That is from a Boise, Idaho band called Sunblood Stories. They have been around since 2011. They named themselves after Boise skies during summer forest fires, which is <laughs> poignant at this moment in time. I got this vinyl and I really, really love the album that this comes off of. Uh, the album is called Haunt Yourself. This was a mistake on my part. I just told both of you guys that this was going to be the music on this, I think like three days ago. I'd skimmed the album like, and I liked what I heard. I need, I really want to go back and like, I was busy listening to this and some other stuff, but I, I want to yeah. go back and give it a good, like it's worthy of a real listen. So I'm I'm looking forward to that, especially being a Boise band. I sat down with this album again tonight because that's what I do the day I'm recording. I like to sit down and listen to that and then the albums that we're talking about. This is going to sound like an insult. It's not. I couldn't get through the album because it was starting to, I was drinking a Manhattan and listening to this and it was starting to take me to this kind of <laughs> darker negative place. And I was like, I shouldn't be, I can't listen to this. Very, very moody album. It's kind mm -hmm. of a... Interpoly white lies. You can hear the built to spill guitar because maybe it's, I'm just thinking that because they're a Boise band, but that album is amazing. We're going to play two more songs from them tonight, but Sun Blood Stories, you can get the vinyl for Haunt Yourself, which I have, and I am very impressed by the album. Do, hi. Hi, hey. Rachel. There she is. <gasps> oh, God. Okay. It's All right. Fine. Let's. Let's try again. Everything's better. I'm so sorry. You're, stop apologizing. It's not your fault. You need a drink. You're, no, I got some drinks. Let's do this. <laughs> you need to start putting them into your mouth because you're <laughs> sorry. stressing me out. Um, Sticky Fingers, Rolling Stones. There's a very specific reason that I chose to do this one at this time. I didn't even think about it until today, but there would have been a different album that would have been a smarter pick for right now. The Black Album by Metallica uh, just re-released. Yeah. How many covers was it? Like 40-something. 50-something yeah. covers? Yeah. That's one that everybody would talk about. Mm -hmm. Have either of you gotten a chance to listen to any of the cover? It's only been... How long has it been out? Like four days, Something five days? Something like that. I've listened to some, some of them. I did listen to the remastered Black Album start to finish today. I have not. Yeah. Were there noticeable differences? I didn't realize how much that album is in my musical DNA. It's so huge in so many ways. I, I, I don't want to go into it too much because I figure we're going to do an episode on that album at some point. Yes. So I'll just wait. Every inch of the... Yeah. yeah. 
top to bottom, left to right, inside out. I know that album. Rachel, I know you listened to at least a little bit of it. Yeah. Did you like any of it? What was your overall? I love that there were so many options for each of the songs, but part of me was like, why are there so many options for each of the songs? I don't <laughs> yeah. need 10 different covers. You don't need 37 Nothing Else Matters? Nothing Else Matters. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. I didn't need that many. It was nice to see a variety, but it was like, eh. Actually, on the Nothing Else Matters, the Chris Stapleton one was dope. I don't know if you got to hear that one or not, but... I tried. It's fine. You don't have to like it. What I realized, and this is, I think, one of the biggest detriments to the whole cover thing, because I don't like it. I heard, like, two of the covers I like. Mm-hmm. I liked the let's see the visual. it doesn't matter <laughs> yes i like the unforgiven cover which actually even had a little bit of rap in it yeah that was an interesting choice i liked it yeah and i liked uh biffy's holier than thou version that was freaking that rad. was fun also cage yeah. the elephant i don't even remember what song they did um, but cage the elephant had one that was great one of the biggest problems is i had it on a shuffled playlist is I don't really like the song Nothing Else Matters. If there was a song on a Black <laughs> album that I wish wasn't on there, it'd be that one. Yeah. No spoilers, but whatever. <laughs> and there seriously are like 12 versions. So every time I'd skip, it'd go to Miley Cyrus. Oh, that was bad. <laughs> yeah. I don't love Miley Cyrus so in the I, first place. And that was yeah. just... Now I just yeah. want to listen to the Black album yeah. so bad. But I am bummed because when I first heard about the cover thing, I was kind of enticed because right. there are a yeah. lot of B-sides like uh, of Wolf and Man and Don't Tread on Me that I was like, mm-hmm. there could be some amazing versions of these. And I, I like Royal Blood's cover because I love Royal Blood. And I liked uh, Ghost's cover because <laughs> I, I like Ghost. Sucked. I mean, th- but those are like, <laughs> I mean, they're basically doing... Yeah, they're doing Metallica. I mean, they're not really doing anything different with it. The one that I enjoyed that was kind of a, a different take on things was the Rodrigo e Gabriela, the guitar piece, yeah, of the struggle within. That was awesome. Yes, it was, it was that was good. Yeah, it was novel and it was fun, and I liked that. And the Biffy one was good too. I liked that too. Sticky fingers. The reason that I chose sticky fingers, we we have shat collectively. <laughs> On the Rolling Stones. So, okay. I'm just more upfront about it. (laughs) Almost every single year we've done, the Rolling Stones had an album in that year. And Sven and Evil didn't have that album anywhere in their top 10, but nobody says shit about it. (laughs) And the Rolling Stones have been getting shat on quite a bit in this podcast. And the last time they got shat on was about 40 hours after Charlie Watts died. Yeah. My bad. Whoops. Just so everybody knows, we pre-record these. That episode had been in the bank for about three weeks. It's not like we recorded it and talked shit about the Rolling Stones, and then the next day, Charlie Watts died. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, let's release it right now. No, I had forgotten that there was a little bit of negativity, so I apologize for that. This is my apology. My apology is saying that there was... A very good Rolling Stones album. And this, to me, was that album. Also, I need to mention, too, just today we are recording this on 9-11. Mick Bridgen, Rolling Stones tour manager, passed away today. Oh. He also was the manager for Chicken Foot. I don't know if you've ever heard of that band. Well, yeah. (laughs) The Van Halen Connection, of course I've heard of them. I figured. Yeah. Opportune time for us to talk a little bit about the Rolling Stones to admit that they had good songs. (laughs) This is going to be really fun when we get into because I might have misremembered this album a little bit and maybe... Maybe I don't love it as much as I remember <laughs> loving it. So oh my I God. might be inadvertently burning my olive branch. <laughs> We're going to see. Rachel. Yes, sir. Had you ever listened to this album before we decided to do this one? I had never actually heard of the Rolling Stones before you sent me this album. So no, uh, that makes sense. They seem great. Yeah, no. My dad was in his prime 15, 16 when this came out. So this is one of the albums that he... His prime. Yeah, that, then it all went downhill from there. That's not true. <laughs> 25 and then it went down. We listened to some stones in my house and some of the same stuff that came out around the same time. So maybe there were a couple that I hadn't heard before. But my dad went to Woodstock. He was only actually 14 at the time, but he told his mom he was going to go spend the night at a friend's house and went to Woodstock instead. That's badass. Um, that is badass. And so, yeah. <laughs> and he had all the cassette tapes that were recorded. Big, big music family. How honest with you is your father. If you asked your father a direct, honest question, would he be 100% truthful with you? Oh, yeah. 
thousand percent. Please ask your father, and I just want you to word it exactly like this. <laughs> Tell me the truth, Dad. Did you stay for Jimi Hendrix? <laughs> oh, I should. Yeah. That's a great question. I want to know the yeah. answer to that. I think like 14 I'll people have to write did. That, I'll write that down right now. Evil, we're going to get to you. I want to hear your initial thoughts too on this album. But first... It's been long enough. My liver is begging for some alcohol. <laughs> we need to get to the most important part of the night. What are we drinking tonight? I will start. I went uh, Manhattan. I've got kind of the dregs of a very good Canadian rye. I have a very, very good vermouth in Antica. And it was just, there was an orange stand in there. And I was like, well, I have to have a Manhattan then. It's very strong. So I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> I am also drinking, I am finishing, this is a night of celebration. So you remember we had a podcast episode one night, Evil, where I said that I had had a 4th of July thing and I had bought way too right. much alcohol. Yeah. Nobody drank it. This is the last White Claw, <sighs> hopefully that will ever be in my house. That, I think that was an 80s movie, The Last White Claw. <laughs> the Last White Claw. <laughs> <laughs> They're so bad. They're so freaking gross. And I'm so ready to be done. As Rachel looks at her drinks, I'm wondering, did I just insult your beverage? <laughs> no, not at all. But okay, so rewind on your White Claw just for a second to make White Claws not taste like static. <laughs> if you take it, put it in a blender, add a popsicle, add some Malibu, blend it up. <laughs> Then it tastes like a delicious slushy and not like White Claw. I kind of feel like that would work for any drink. Yeah. <laughs> Just shove a popsicle in it. You've got White Claw, a popsicle, no. and Malibu? No, that's not at all oh. what I have. Oh, that's just a life hack. <laughs> that's just a life hack. So next time you okay. have an excess of White Claws, that's how you make them taste good. While I was studying this, I called my poor father about five or six times last night and then a couple times today. I'm sure he hated it. Dads hate hearing from their daughters. He really does. He hates, he hates yeah. talking to me. I said, what are good alcohols for the 70s? What were you drinking? And he said, Colt 45. If you can find a Colt 45, nice. uh, malt liquor, higher the percentage, the better. Could not find a Colt 45 in Eastern Idaho, but I did find a Mad Dog 2020 Spike oh. Punch, which is what the fuck? 12%. <laughs> and then because he oh said, because <laughs> he said, like, whatever you can find the highest alcohol, that's what we drank. I got one of these really shitty Buzzball chillers. What have the hell is that? No. You have to go to like a gas station to get these. I've gotten them in Boise before. So this Holy. is going to be a fun night in about 20 minutes. Have a ball, it says. I think I might. <laughs> oh my God. It's 12% alcohol. Yeah. Or 15. This Ooh. one's 15. The other one's 12. Oh God. I'm going to be wasted. Sorry, this Dad. This is going to be interesting. Good luck to you. Uh, Evil, what are you drinking tonight? This is a drink I purposefully picked for tonight for a number of reasons. I'm not known to be a huge fan of gin or gin drinks. So I've spent like the last year really consciously trying to learn how to like <laughs> gin and gin cocktails. Love it. So I am drinking a martini tonight. I'm learning how to like these. I'm also consciously trying to learn how to like the Rolling Stones tonight. I like it. I like it. <laughs> um, so that's why I picked it. I like uh, a more citrusy martini. I do... Two ounces of gin. I went with Hendrix tonight. Usually I do Plymouth, but I'm out. Ounce of dry vermouth. I have Carpano dry and a couple dashes of orange bitters and then lemon peel expressed over the top. That's, Yummy. That's a martini I like. What was your awareness? What was your awareness of this album before we started studying for it? A couple of the songs I, I know of. I've heard classic rock radio, maybe in movie soundtracks here and there, but I hadn't heard the full album for sure. This is going to be interesting. And I yep. have no idea what the ratings are going to be at the end of it. Not to mention the fact that every time Rachel takes a drink, she makes a brand new bitter face. <laughs> she is one of the least drinkers I've ever known. And she's drinking 15% alcohol. I'm not sure I've ever been more excited for an episode. <laughs> we are going to take a break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk sticky fingers.
song that you heard coming in from the intro, Laws Are Broken Every Day, that is by Sun Blood Stories, a band out of Boise. That is a new single that they've just come out with. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Bandcamp, obviously Spotify, all that stuff. Sunbloodstories.com. That's the easiest place to do it. I'm going to harp on it every single song. This isn't on that album, but the album Haunt Yourself is the one that I have, and it's seriously so good. They have that as vinyl on Bandcamp where you choose you know, how much you want to pay for it. So Laws Are Broken Every Day. That's the name of that song. Go look it up. Listen to it. It's good. Sticky fingers. I'm going to go over some very basic facts. Rachel, your new nickname is Stats. So if I say anything incorrect, let me know. This is the ninth Rolling Stones album. It was released in April of 71 on Rolling Stones Records, which was their new record company. They had finally gotten out of their contract and this was them, which at this point they were one of the what three biggest bands in the world and they said screw it this was the second mick taylor album jones who was the guitarist before and who had done a lot of the songwriting died he wasn't on this album he had left and he died two years later uh at the bottom of a swimming pool as rock stars do he died two years before was it wrong he died in 69 did he really he got shit canned in june and then he died less than a month later in uh, July of 1969. Wow. Okay, so he died. I wonder if he died before Let It Bleed came out then. He did, I believe. That was the 70, right? Let, Let it, it Bleed was 69. Mm. Interesting. See? What? Stats saving my ass. <laughs> Stats. I love it. Andy Warhol did the art for the album. Rachel, I'm going to start with you. What do you think about the package? I mean, what do you think <laughs> about the packaging of the album? So the unfortunateness of the packaging of the album was apparently because there was an actual zipper on the original one that damaged the vinyl. So I love the creativity. I love that Warhol was involved in it. And apparently it was Warhol's boyfriend's twin brother's junk on the cover. All right. He took a ton of different photos of different guys in jeans and people were like, oh, it's Mick Jagger. But it was likely the boyfriend's brother but i thought that it was very uh creative as an as an art piece i think it was a a clever cover (laughs) it was a real zipper and you unzipped it and there was like fucking skivvies under it it's it's insane it's a weird album cover there was another version that was like a like a jar of something and like some disengaged like fingers sticking out of it that was a um there are a couple countries that were like yeah we're not gonna put somebody's junk on the cover of that so we're gonna mix it up and put something different evil were you a big fan of the album cover probably oh it's my favorite (laughs) i thought this was the 11th album of theirs instead of their ninth um oh i'm sorry ninth british 11th american studio album there you go interesting i apparently did not do a good enough job investigating this apologies to everybody well you weren't wrong (laughs) no we were we're both right you just didn't have all alternative facts um, <laughs> don't ever say that again <laughs> the reason i brought that up is i'm like holy balls these guys this is their 11th it's crazy in 19th, right yeah like night what well in 11 years too yeah right no they were founded in 62 so that was nine years yeah that's what jesus it's insane. right <laughs> <laughs> but they also they were around at the time when bands would come out with sure they'd have like three cover albums and it, right. you know, or they yeah. they'd yeah. find all the all the black blues musicians like Fats Domino music. They would just cover all their stuff and come out with an album. Yeah, I mean, we talked about that when we did 1969. How like two Zeppelin albums, three CCR albums, eighteen four James, James Brown albums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it was the industry moved at a different pace back then for sure and then uh i'm gonna call this dl doesn't give a shit corner where i'm gonna (laughs) just read the awards and the rankings and all the crap that the that this got it was the band's first album to reach number one on both the uk and u.s album charts it's triple platinum certified brown sugar topped the billboard hot 100 in 71 Sticky Fingers was voted the second best album of the year in Village Voice poll, which apparently was big in 71. It's based on a bunch of American critics. It was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame and included in Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest of All Time list. 
That's all the basic stuff that I have on this album. I think it's widely considered to be one of their top two, maybe three best albums of all time. I think if you ask any hardcore Stones fans, they're going to give you this one or Exile or Let It Bleed. Mm-hmm. Hopefully more Exile on this one because I'm just not a big Let It Bleed fan. Uh, but with that, we can get into the album and I don't have a specific way I want to do it. A lot of things to talk about on this album, a lot of insane fucking lyrics, a lot of uh, yes. influences and influencees that could lead to deeper conversation. I am going to start with Evil as a person who been all about rock his whole life, but never a real big Stones guy. I am intrigued to hear your opinions on this and and how you felt when you first started researching it. Like I said, I don't hate the Stones. It's just not, there's never been a band that I've gravitated towards. Outside of some of the singles, like they've written some great songs. Don't don't Mm -hmm. get me wrong. I love Satisfaction. That's a great song. It's hard to argue with their longevity too. And for me, I come at them with respect for the bands that they had influenced yes some of the ones just off the top of my head like you don't have bands like aerosmith without the stones you don't have bands like guns and roses without Mm -hmm. the stones you don't have bands like the black crows or even like the hives without the stones yeah and so and and, speaking directly from this album you probably don't have most of a lot of southern rock bands uh, absolutely Yeah. yeah I have respect for them in that aspect. Let's dig into the music itself and see what I can find. And this particular lineup of the band, I think I enjoy more than other incarnations of the band for one particular reason. And that's Mick Taylor and his guitar Mm -hmm. work. Yeah. I think he makes the band more interesting than without him. For sure. I agree. Guns N' Roses sticks out to me. Like there is no Guns N' Roses without this album. There's no Slash without this album. And that to me was kind of a big aha. Like I kind of knew it on a surface level, but now I really am like, okay, I, I understand the influence that this band has had on pop music, rock music, the music that I love and on a much deeper level now as I take a sip from this martini that I'm learning how to love. <laughs> That's one of the things that I started to recognize a lot more. I approach this a lot of the same way. You know, I'm part of a musical podcast now. The biggest negative things that I've gotten responses to are my lack of enjoyment of the Rolling Stones and the Who. I kind of viewed it as the same way as, okay, I really need to sit down. I need to be more respectful in this episode about them and what they did. I really kept going back to paving the way from black Dixie Southern blues, helping move that more towards all the British bands. Like Zeppelin was doing the same thing. They were taking these blues riffs and turning them into these awesome songs, feeding off of bands like Credence and Lonnie Mack, who would essentially become Leonard Skinner Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. So I have like a newfound respect for this band. The other side of that is I feel like this album was the beginning of the Stones as a brand. Yeah. And it's not all, you know, rainbows and sunshine. Like there's kind of a darker aspect to the band that that comes out of that, which we can get into when we talk about some of the songs, particularly the second half of the album. I like gained respect in some ways and maybe lost respect in the others. I have a, a better understanding of the band as an influence on future music, but also as kind of a cutthroat business entity as well. I think even if you ask hardcore Stones fans, they'll admit that there are bad Rolling Stones albums. There are. This was kind of the start of the, it doesn't matter, we're one of the biggest rock bands of all time. We're going to do whatever the fuck we want. Yeah, that's. I'm not knocking the quality of this album musically, but it's more of the attitude of like, we're going to do what we want. And there's a part of me that's like, that's pretty fucking rock and roll in and of itself. So I can't like... It kind of is, yeah. (laughs) I mean, so... Rachel. Yes, sir. You kind of grown up around that style of music and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. What is your opinion flat out on the Stones? Are you a Stones person? Um, Stones is like, they're like a PB&J, like 
they're fine. Like they're good. I'll eat them. Mm, that sounded wrong. Um, <laughs> but it's not something I would gravitate towards. Like, you know what? I really want to listen to the Rolling Stones right now, but I don't hate them. They've added to a lot of memories, like I said, of growing up. And so I have a lot of good memories with them, but they're not anything that I'm a super huge fan of. I remember when we were talking about favorite albums mm -hmm. and we got onto this topic of the Beatles and both of you were very much like, a, they're fine. You know, they're fine. Yeah. That's what kept coming back to me when I was listening to this album and trying to, mm -hmm. you know, show my respect for the Rolling Stones is they're fine. Like this song is fine. It's fine. Mm -hmm. How did you listen to that? How did you start? How did you research? Did you just pop this album in? What did you do? So what I usually do is listen to the album a couple times and then sit down after I've listened to it and have the lyrics open and then take notes on each of the songs, what my thoughts are on each of them and dig deep into research of, of the lyrics of things that were going on in history in that time and what could have influenced the music or the people or that first listen through. Cause you said that you, the, you start with listening to albums mm -hmm. a couple yeah. times. What were your thoughts on that first listen through? Uh, again, it was just bringing up, I've already, I've heard this stuff. It wasn't anything new. Okay. It's just the stones. Well, fine so. then. Um, <laughs> but I did, I did, uh, you brought up the Beatles before I did think of their correlative paths of them and the Beatles. The Beatles were just ahead of them by two years, I think coming into the States mm -hmm. and, you could compare and contrast them and say, well, the Beatles, you know, British invasion for both of them. But the Beatles were like, I don't know, the mom approved version of music and the and the Stones were the yeah. they caused a lot of a, a lot of drama for publicity. And it worked out really well in selling albums and getting people to their concerts. I think it's very true. And I think they were even pretty aware of that. I think they got even oh, yeah. played to it, especially earlier in their careers. And the Beatles kind of did it on purpose and. The Rolling Stones did too. And they would even swap, they'd swap songs and stuff like that. They were, mm -hmm. they were actually pretty close. It was an interesting time because you had all of this. If you listen to Sticky Fingers, there is so much American blues and rock oh, yeah. inf uh, influence. Yeah. It's crazy. When you listen to this, Rachel, mm -hmm. were you, I'm trying to, I'm trying to word this not shittily. When you listen to this, was there anything that surprised you on it? When I read the lyrics, <laughs> I was pretty appalled at times. To what? <laughs> Fucking brown sugar, David. Yeah. Oh my God. That's, are we going, that's what we're talking about now? <laughs> I do not want to voluntarily listen to that song ever again. It was such a banger. And then I, I read the lyrics and I was just disturbed on so many levels. Yeah. That I... So th this is one of the big things that I've always had a big problem with, with the Stones or particularly Mick Jagger is he has this weird way of, they do this very politically aware thing where they're, they're writing songs about slavery and, and all the shit that specifically American culture put slaves through and all that stuff. And it's poignant. It's smart. And then all of a sudden he starts sexualizing it. Mm -hmm. Not like a women were raped, not like a this was horrible. In almost like a I was thinking about it today and I couldn't come up with a metaphor. The only thing I could come up with is if your kid came home one day and was like I saw somebody kill an animal. And you're like, "Oh my god, that's horrible what happened." And he starts describing it and he's enjoying it a little too much. Yeah. There's this really eerie part about Mick Jagger's lyrics. Mm -hmm. Not in an aware way, in just a fucking gross way. Yeah, he like that sensationalizes things in a really awkward way that is The thing is is if you don't sit and listen to the lyrics and really <laughs> pay attention to what's being said you'd have no clue it's just yeah. like hooky and poppy and mm -hmm. good song craft but then you're like oh god this you built this thing out of horrid pieces and it's like oh yeah <laughs> this sneaky in a way i tend to like when happy sounding songs are hiding darker lyrics but it's beyond that when you listen to brown sugar and you hear him singing it it doesn't sound like he's saying it's a bad thing mm -hmm. It sounds like he's like fucking turned on by it. Which makes it more disturbing. Yeah. Yes. Well, to, to what like what you were saying, happy poppy songs with dark lyrics. This is happy poppy song with dark subject matter, but the lyrics are happy poppy lyrics. That's fair. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. That's 
Very well put. Yeah, it's like a sucker punch. And then I read a couple interviews where they have been called out on it. They've been called out. Like, why are you saying they don't even like you said, they're the stones. Yeah. They do whatever they want. So they're like, oh, we don't, it doesn't mean anything to us. We're just saying it. That's like rock. I mean, that, I, there's a piece of me that's like, God damn it. That is rock and roll. I don't like it, but. Ah. But him just saying, fuck it. I'm gonna, I don't care. This was kind of one of the first real big, you know, the Hendrixes and the, the Janices had all died. It was past the wonderization and the let's get stoned and go on this journey together. And now we were at the... Drugs are bad. Exactly. Everybody's going to do coke and heroin and die, mm-hmm. poor, which a lot of the last half of this album is about. That didn't bother me as much. <laughs> Good. Because that's only hurting yourself. That's true. Right? <laughs> the other one that kind of bothered me in a similar fashion was You Gotta Move. And it was mostly because it felt like not the right song, not the right lyrics, and not the right mood for white British men to be singing. It felt like a spiritual and... It was just disturbing. And then it made me realize in choir, we sang a couple spirituals to like warm up sometimes. And I'm like, oh shit, like that's, I yeah. hope nobody recorded that because that's going to come back and bite me in the ass. <laughs> You're totally right. It's, this is such a straight up Delta Blues song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I fucking love the song. It's awesome. But I love it because it's not, it sounds like Delta Blues. Mm-hmm. And it's a really muddy area. <laughs> That was a pun, not intended, muddy waters. But this is a really weird area because this was about the time where a lot of those bands could just say that they're paying homage. Mm-hmm. Rolling Stones would come out and say, we we love Southern American blues. Mm-hmm. Like, we love it. I don't think there's an answer, and I don't want to get into it on this podcast, to at what point does it become appropriation? At what point are you just, you know, you're just taking good music and you're... Stealing it and selling it on albums for millions of dollars. Yeah, but this had been done for... Oh, for sure. This is just... 30 years. Listening to it 40 years later, spirituals were written by people that were suffering and in really hard spots, and to hear a bunch of rich British men appropriate that style... (laughs) Seems a little wrong. Guess I should take that off my top three list. (laughs) I mean, like you said, it's a it's a great song. It's just wrong. That's a very good point. I'm going to try my best for us not to turn this into a political thing. It's really hard not to because there is a lot of this album is so old school blues. Yeah, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. It's fucking black people music yeah and white people were playing it Mm -hmm. but like you've just said you are a lot more about the rock and roll than the what's correct and what isn't do you have thoughts on that i I wasn't a fan of that track nor was i a fan of i got the blues which sounds like an otis redding song you know and and (laughs) it totally does i can see things from multiple angles here that that second one in particular is one of the big problems I had with the album at large was them leaning on the other musicians that they pulled in to record it so much. Very much. Yes. Today, it sounds very, very tone deaf. In that period of music, everyone was borrowing from everything. Well, and I don't think people were really thinking about what they were doing at that no, point. as not having at intentions. All. Like today, we're so hyper aware yes. of everything everybody says and does in this cancel culture that, like I said, with these eyes looking back 40 years, like you're just disturbed by a lot of the things that they were doing and they right. were saying. On one hand, I think finding a new respect for the influence that this band has had on, on music from then till now. And on the other hand, it's like, it's okay to let stuff age and fall out of style too. And mm-hmm. and be like, you know, that was from a different time and we don't need to revere it the way it has been in the past. Yes. So I'm okay with both of those things existing at the same time. I think that's another problem these days is you have to have your standpoint and everybody that doesn't agree with you is wrong. And you can think multiple things at once. You can have a hard time deciding on something. I think that's something that people have forgotten these days. Right. I I have mixed feelings on this whole album. That's going to be the title of this (laughs) podcast episode. I don't know. (laughs) 
I honestly, I completely thought that I, we were going to come into this, we we're going to listen to this kick-ass kind of bluesy rock album. We we're going to give it some high scores, be like props to Rolling Stones. <laughs> and then I started listening to it and I was like, fuck, I am completely going against because I got to tell you, when I went back and listened to this, there were a lot of these songs that either I, A, had a problem with, like you mm -hmm. were talking about, or B, even the song structures on some of them. Can they get a fucking producer that will tell them when to stop a song? <laughs> oh my God. Right? What was the one that was like four minutes of an outro? Yeah. I was like, this is going to fucking end. Right. It's not 65 anymore. You can you can end a song. <laughs> so I put notes on every single song just in case people want to talk about it specifically. The last sentence of Brown Sugar, it's too long. The last sentence of Sway, it's too long. Mm -hmm. Last sentence of Wild Horses, it's too long. Yeah. Goes and goes and goes. Mm -hmm. End your fucking songs, guys. You don't need a five and a half minute song where a two and a half minute one will do. Right. Like where was where was Rick Rubin? Yeah, can't you <laughs> 1969 through 1971. Where <laughs> yeah. Rachel, were there any songs on this album that you completely love? And we you don't need to give away your three favorite songs or anything, but are there any songs that you think are just amazing on it? Lyrically, I really like Dead Flowers. It was really great. And then I did research on it and it got even better because apparently back in the 60s and 70s, the government wasn't going through your mail. There was no technology to sense what was in packages or in envelopes or anything. And so a lot of drugs was sent through the mail saying, you know, send me dead flowers as heroines from poppy plants. This guy's telling this girl to continually just keep sending him drugs. <laughs> you know, in the end, he'll put roses on her grave, which is an interesting comment because it just kind of speaks to the how people think they're invincible. I couldn't tell if I liked that song or not. Mick Jagger's forced American country the twang the force twang it's so bad <laughs> it's so he did so much weird i, I can't vocal uh, inflections the kind of over yeah. the top big lebowski soundtrack country songs that would this was covered on mm -hmm. that it's like plays out big lebowski it's not the stones mm -hmm. version it's a cover it's like towns van zandt seriously i was listening to the album i couldn't get the, that ending of Big Lebowski out of my head when That's I was listening why. to that. I yes. couldn't. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, why the fuck am I always thinking of Big Lebowski? <laughs> like, holy shit. That, okay, yeah. That's crazy. I can't tell if that forced twang is him being experimental and artsy and goofing off kind of poking fun at American country music. You know, like which one is it? Yeah. Or is it both? I actually enjoyed the last part of this album more than the first part. But one of you said <laughs> that you kind of had a problem with the last half of this album. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, what is it? It didn't come from listening. It came from researching the album, particularly the song Sister Morphine is a song that they wrote with Marianne Faithful. It's a great song. And she released it in 1969. Mm -hmm. And they didn't credit her for it until 1994. Four, I think there was a big lawsuit about it. What? Yep. Her version is by far better, in my opinion. Has a lot of the same people recording it. Like I think Mick Jagger played acoustic guitar on her version. Ry Cooter played Awesome Slide on her version, and then this whole crew recorded it for them. And they just like this is our song now. And I'm like, oh, you bastards! <laughs> and it's not even good. He it, it doesn't fit him. No, his singing in it sucks. No, it does. And it sucks. That was oh, when, that makes me so mad. That's where the whole album started unraveling for me. This is Rolling Stones, the brand, just taking off into the stratosphere because they can. To the five people that consistently write, write me about the stones whenever we shit on it. And the like <laughs> the eight, the last time, I think we're just going to have to lose you because this is not going how I <laughs> no, thought it would go I, So all. I have good things to say about the album though. I mean, other parts yeah, but of it. Even as we talk, my opinion is just, uh. mm, this is crazy. <laughs> I didn't care for I Got the Blues. Sister Morphine, kind of, that was the one that was like, oh, man. You want to hear Otis Redding or Joe Cocker or something on this. You don't want to hear well, Mick Jagger. That was what, my thing what about did this. the Stones as the band bring to that song versus the rest of the performers? A, 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 it's like a blues track. It's like, that's, a, that's old school blues. 
wide. So like, yes, they didn't bring anything new as musicians or artists. And I think like the heavy lifting was the rest of the band, like not the band, but the rest of the performers. What are your thoughts on this track, Rachel? You've had a, you've had a buzz bomb or a buzz, a bomb, (laughs) a buzz ball, buzz balls. Hey, I'm getting drunker. Uh, take that part out. (laughs) There was some nice organ in there, but outside of that, I didn't really, you know, good gospel organ. You have, you have that chord kick in and all I want to hear is Otis Redding or Al Green kick in. I don't want to hear fucking Mick Jagger. Mm -hmm. To salvage that second half of the album, Moonlight Mile for me feels like maybe the most authentic performance from Jagger. I Maybe ever. Completely um, agree. It's like he took off the rock star persona and like it's poignant and heartfelt and self-indulgent. That's that's every artist ever though. Yeah. Here's the thing though. Yes, it was it was very real and it was very applicable to his life and the time and all that stuff, but it's just hearing rich white people complain about their job. When they're making millions of dollars, like, oh, I have to be on the fucking road all the time. Oh, I'm so sorry for you. And all of your like 12 houses that you have and 80 cars, your life must suck. (laughs) I'm sorry that you have to be on the road. I don't know if either of you have heard the song The Road by Tenacious D. I love that that just basically (laughs) pokes fun at every artist that's ever done that. But I do. My first sentence of notes on this on Moonlight Me is I love Jagger in this one. Yeah. Yay. Like you said, he's not trying to be somebody else. He's just doing his own thing. And it feels like this teeny little second of realness from him. Yeah. For me. That that like struck me in the exact same way. And I'm like, oh, this I'm glad that it ended on a high note for me, the yes. album did. Their most popular songs from this, which are Brown Sugar, Wild Horses, and Can't You Hear Me Knocking. We're not gonna go mm-hmm. through Brown Sugar anymore. I think You know, I was saying there are times where you can kind of be confused about things and agree and not agree. Maybe not so much on the brown sugar lyrics. (laughs) But the two that we haven't talked about yet, Can't You Hear Me Knocking and Wild Horses. We'll go over Can't You Hear Me Knocking first. Evil, what is your opinion of this song? This is the song that flummoxed me the most on the whole album. Okay. Because I don't know if I really like it or if it's to subtract like the first third of it. And I'm like, I don't know what to make with that last the bongo. I don't know if it's genius or if it's just like meandering, jazz fusion Or is it just them jamming and being foolish? I don't know. I honestly can't put my finger on it. I will say that I love Richard's intro riff. That is like some yeah. groovy, funky yeah. stuff that I really, really like. I thought that the last half of that song, which we all know what we're talking about, the weird transitional almost gets jazzy. Yeah. You know what it remind me of a lot is Sympathy for the Devil. Yeah, it does. Exactly. Sympathy for the Devil Part That's 2 why I wrote is that what down. I... <laughs> I was like, what the fuck did I mean by that note? It was just, it's random. <laughs> Sympathy for the devil right above Martin Luther King and Robert <laughs> RFK. And I was like, why did I write Sympathy for the devil? It made no sense. Well, wait, now I want to know why you wrote RFK. No. <laughs> well, because this period, it was just history in this time. Like things that were coming off of was the assassination of Martin Luther King, RFK, Altamont, Manson murders, all that stuff had happened just right before the release of this album. What do you think about the song, Rachel? Um, my first note I wrote, is that a saxophone? Apparently I got very excited that there was some brass in there. <laughs> but I, I have to say seven minutes and, and change is too long for a song. And the last four minutes, although, you know, it's entertaining for a degree, but it's completely unnecessary and I didn't need it. And I don't get that because this could be a perfect rock song. Yeah. If it was two and a half minutes Mm -hmm. long. But I also agree with Evil that there's something about the last half that's mesmerizing. It is. That I do, that I like and that I want. When I was listening kind of casually, I'm like, this song just fell apart. But when I like put on the headphones and listened to it more deliberately, I'm like, maybe there's something else here. I don't know if I'm trying to find something that's not there. Or if I just need more time with it. Yeah. Man, I love like stoner rock, stoner metal where things meander and then all kind of comes in at the end. But at the same time, like it wasn't the Rolling Stones that was featured there. It was Bobby Keys on tenor sax. Does that make this a great Stone song or yeah. the Rolling Stones featuring Bobby Keys on a mm-hmm. you know four minute adventure? <laughs> I don't 
I don't, I don't know. That was great. We also didn't talk about bitch, which we need to talk about because that was actually one of the more popular tracks on this. It was, it was no wild horses or brown sugar, but it was popular. You know, bitch was kind of what we've been talking about. They were just playing to the genre. I love the brass. I like the writing, all the 60s soul that's buried in it. To me, it's one of the strongest tracks on the album, but also one of the safest. That's perfectly put. You know? Yes. It's safe. Um, yeah. But I, it, at the same time, it's it's good. It's like pop rocky, formulaic. I found myself liking it at the same time. Rachel, do you love this song? I love you. And here's <laughs> why. Um <laughs> Well, in a similar fashion, I also listened to a little bit of Let It Bleed and a little bit of Exile on Main Street to kind of feel where they were before and after this album. And Exile on Main Street felt like the Rolling Stones impersonating the Rolling Stones. It just felt like (laughs) this is what we're supposed to sound like. So this is what we're doing. Um, Anyway, I'm gonna have to like edit the last 15 minutes out. But Wild Horses, let's talk about Wild Horses now, which it's got to be revered as one of the, what, top three sure. Rolling Stone songs? Satisfaction, Sympathy for the Devil. What am I forgetting? Brown Sugar, David. Paint it black. Paint it black. God damn it. God. I'm dancing in the street. And what's the one that I hate? Beast of Burden. God, that song's terrible. <laughs> Wild Horses. Rachel, do you like no. the song Wild Horses? Um, it's fine. Really? Uh, overplayed. You know, it's in a lot of things. It's in a lot of movies. It's in... It's it's overused, so it's fine. It's got fortunate sonitis. Yes, oh, I love fortunate sonitis. Yeah. That's actually my dad's ringer <laughs> on my phone. So every time he calls, Is it? yeah, it's dope. As a song, to me, it's like how I feel about the band at large. I don't hate it. I don't love it. It's one of those songs that is it overplayed? Yeah, maybe. But how long has it been around for? Yeah, I mean, come on, <laughs> you know, you got to factor in these things. Maybe at the time it was more genius than we're giving it credit. I don't know. And to that point, the whole album could be that way. I, yeah. I, I have a hard time with this whole thing. It's like I'm trying to be. It is hard. Like, That's what she said. Trying to do my due Sorry. diligence and be. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's too long. Wild Horses. It's too long. I don't dislike it. I don't think it's a bad song. No, it's a good song. It's not my thing, though. I get that. But at the same time, I recognize that it is a well-written song and I can see why people who do think highly of it do wild horses is too long. That's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I noticed it here, but I did notice it here. Mick Jagger has the same disease that the American punks started to get in the nineties with like green day and blink One Eighty Two, where all they wanted to do was sound British. Mick Jagger tries so hard so often on this album to sound American. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. I don't and it's- get it happens in so many songs. I do think Wild Horse is a good song. It's really pretty. The lyrics are some of the few lyrics I love in this album. I've watched you suffer a dull aching pain. Now you've decided to show me the same. Wild Horses can't drag me away. That's Oh, for sure. Those are great fucking lyrics. I was honestly just coming on expecting the dote on the stones for a while and this album flummoxed me. Anything else to say on this album? <laughs> Rachel, do you want to talk about the Pentagon um, Papers for a while? Or... Yeah. So a lot of people were really mad because they were getting lied yeah. to about the war. The Pentagon Papers came out and General Westmoreland... Oh, you're serious. Kept... You really do want to talk everybody about was, Yeah, everybody was coming at him and they're like, Wes, what's going on? And he's like, everything's fine over there. Their boys are doing great. And then all these papers were released and they're like, actually, it's not going good. It's been going on for 20 years almost. So it was real bad. So Pentagon Papers, yep. Rachel. Um, I do have the top things to do while listening to this album, though. So wait, top seven things to do while listening to this specific album? This specific album. Okay. Number seven protest the war okay number six dodge the draft so those kind of go together (laughs) 71 number five trash a hotel room yes number four burn my bra okay uh three roll some joints roll some (laughs) blunts roll a blunt roll a blunt sorry dad uh Um, 3.5 teach rachel what a blunt is uh, uh number two fuck some groupies yeah. And number one, contemplate how Keith Richards is still alive. Because goddamn, he is like a walking corpse, yeah. that man. I will do all seven of those things next time I listen to this album. Burn your bra? Yeah. Mind your own business. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
I really wish we would have done the Black Album. (laughs) (laughs) Next time. All right, we are going to take a break. We will be right back. Wondering if anything was ever even spoken. Don't put that in there. Not editing that out. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Rachel, we need viewers. Oh, that's fair. We are back. The song that you heard coming in from the intro was At Once in All Directions. That is from Sunblood Stories, their most recent release, Haunt Yourself 2019. Go to Bandcamp, buy this album. I'm telling you, as a high-class music connoisseur, this is elite shit. (laughs) I really like this album. I have the vinyl. It's a very pretty vinyl. And... The next night that I want to brood, (laughs) I am going to grab a whiskey and sit in the dark and listen to this in about half an hour. Called it. Let's get into some awards and categories. The David Crosby Meh Award for Amazon Bad Reviews. There was nothing. Everything was about the vinyls, you know, bitching Um, about the reissues. You're not going to find an Amazon review. (laughs) People aren't buying sticky fingers saying... Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) Just so you know, Rachel, (laughs) none of your noises are getting edited out of this episode. I just want you to know that. Let's go into (laughs) awards and categories. I have some on here that we don't even, we've really gone over. The first one is rank the uniqueness of the album. This album has been contemplated and talked about since it came out in the 70s. Influences and influencees. We've really talked a lot about, mm-hmm. to me, it's basically just black people. <laughs> Do either of you have a influence from this album that we haven't talked about yet? All right. <laughs> <laughs> but in the reverse influencees, Evil talked about it at the very beginning. So many bands. Oh, uh, yeah. you, you mentioned Guns N' Roses. That's um, a, the big one. But like Aerosmith, mm-hmm. that kind of loose feel, you know, like, uh, Black yeah. Crows isn't like a favorite band or anything. But I do enjoy respect like their first album in particular. It, it really good stuff. But I mean, without Stones, that that doesn't happen. I, mean, I love Stone Temple Pilots, particularly mm. first like four albums. Great. I would say that musically, they're more Zeppelin meets the Beatles. But in terms of like Scott Weiland and his performance, that's Mick, there's Mick Jagger in yeah. his like frontman persona. And I'm sure mm-hmm. the influence, the music influence as well. So they are a broadly influential band. What other bands branded themselves as good as Rolling Stones? The list is small. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even the, the lips with the tongue out logo that's on a lot of people's t-shirts. That Stones logo is iconic. Kudos to them on that. That's brilliant businessmanship. Uh, martinis. <laughs> Drinking martinis tonight. <laughs> I just feel like they just set an example for anyone who wanted to be a rock star. Their example of drugs and excess and groupies and drinking Out, outside of God music wise you want to be a rock star and this is the life never mind the bullocks award this one might be hard rachel going right back to you hey. how well do you know their other stuff you talked about how you went and listened to let it bleed in exile yeah honestly I, I couldn't put songs to albums i don't think i could answer this one honestly but i do know from my research that this is top four albums that they've ever released and this was seemingly the pinnacle of their career this is the best album they put out by a huge percentage of people that listen to the stones oh uh, what do you think evil it feels like and this is an uneducated like stones person saying this they had a four album run from 68 to what like 72 that was mm-hmm. this album is in there some people might argue it's their best but it's definitely in that era of when they were firing on all cylinders mm-hmm. i think there are a lot of stones heads that would say that they are the greatest rock band of all time mm-hmm. the run you're talking about and maybe the two album let it bleed and this mm-hmm. 
even if I don't love it, it's the only time where I would say that you might be right. Yeah. You know what I mean? But there's 35 more years of just what the fuck. So (laughs) before I went back into this album, I would have actually said yes, that this was for me by far their best album. But I am not sure anymore. I need to go back and listen to Exile. John Paul Jones Award, I'll start. I said this, this album needs a fucking producer that will say, hey, dipshits, end the song. Uh, so I originally said George Martin, but I'm changing it to Rick Rubin uh, in honor of evil's joke. So that's who I'm going with for the John Paul Jones Award. They need a new producer. Rachel, what do you got? Um, I agree. <laughs> All right. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, somebody to tell them to stop playing. <laughs> Edit out the last four minutes of every song. <laughs> I like We're it. We're good. Evil, do you have a John Paul Jones award? I have a thought experiment here Ooh. that I think roughly falls into this category, <laughs> but it struck me as I was listening to the album and I'm like, oh man, I used to be a big comic book fan and I still like comic books, but um, like I always liked Marvel's like, what if, like what if so-and-so became <sighs> whatever? It's just, and I like those things. So. Bear with me. And apologies to Bill Wyman. Is your here. answer Wolverine or what? Like Yes. <laughs> no. So when Mick Taylor left, Ronnie Wood came in and has been playing guitar with. He's like on guitar, a second Keith Richards. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why that incarnation of them is not as interesting to me. Because there's not that juxtaposition of Richard's riffing with McTaylor's awesome slide guitar and soloing and stuff. What I would have liked to have seen, because, and I'm not knocking Ronnie Wood as a musician, because I fell in love with him as a bass player when he played with Jeff Beck. Yeah. Like, he is a nasty bass player. Yes. What if he came in and replaced Bill Wyman on bass and Mick Taylor stayed on as the second player? <laughs> what kind of band would that have been moving forward? That's a good question. That is so deep for how many drinks I'm in. <laughs> um, I'm and actually then, thinking about and it And then now. Rick Rubin produces an album for them. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked that one. Um, John Popper Award, Best Hook. Rachel. You know, I wrote down Brown Sugar. I was going to say. Even though I hate that song, it's definitely That's your the pick? catchiest out of... Wow. Yeah. I fucking hate it. Does, it. does it make it less catchy? Mine is Wild Horses. Wild Horses uh, yeah. couldn't keep me away. That's a... Man, that's a good hook. Evil, what about you? Do you have a best hook? Those are the two that I would have went with. We can have um, the same. There's a reason why those two are the songs that people know from yeah. this album. How much can we <laughs> contradict ourselves? I don't know. That's, I don't I, know. I, I, I'm, I'm going for it. I, I like it, yeah. though. Eddie Van Halen Award, right back to you, Mr. Van Halen himself. That is Mick Taylor's playing on Sway, without a doubt. His guitar work on that song is brilliant. I just went with his slide guitar and you got to move. Yeah, And I'm sorry, I don't have it pulled up here, but whoever was playing the slide guitar and you got to move is fucking, it's Mick Taylor. Yeah, it is. God bless him. Apparently we're really big (laughs) Mick Taylor fans. That's what I've learned from this. Surfer Rosa Award, Rachel. I actually, there's stuff I liked at the beginning and there's stuff I liked at the end. So I don't know that it, for me, it felt balanced. Uh, What about you, Evil? A strict side one versus side two. I would give side one the edge. It fell apart in the middle for me. Yeah. Dead Flowers and Moonlight Mile kind of brought things back to the end. Who's really responsible for this music? who actually wrote these songs. Why is there black music on this white person album? You know, like, what are you guys doing? (laughs) And like, what are your intentions? That that all kind of fell apart towards the end of side one and the beginning of side two. Time of your life award. Here we go. Rachel, come back. Hi. What's the worst song on this album, Rachel? It's Brown what? Sugar. I, and I know that it's a, a good song, but I fucking hate it. It's okay. Yeah, no, that's it. That's my least favorite song too. I that's my that's my time of your like life award. I do. <laughs> um, I just hate I hate Jagger. Like I, I already talked about it too much. I just hate Jagger's weird fucking way of being politically cognizant and then being perverted about it. Evil. Probably I got the blues. I don't think Sister Morphine's a bad song. You got to move almost functions as like an interstitial track. I'll let it slide. <laughs> that way. I'll let it slide. So I'm going to say I got the blues. It it felt lazy on their part. Three best songs on the album, right back to evil. Everything has changed through the course of this <laughs> yeah, discussion. It really has. Had. It's kind of crazy. 
Because <laughs> I had brown sugar in my top three, but I feel like... <sighs> nope. You know what? I'm going to leave it because there is that dichotomy of like, we're the stones. Fuck it. We can do what we want. Yep. And there's something to that. I'm going to put Moonlight Mile at two. Okay. Like I said, it feels like one of the most authentic performances, regardless of lyrical content. I'm going to put Sway at number one for me. Ooh. And it's purely the guitar work. I didn't expect yeah. Sway. I didn't expect the song that Leonard Skinner stole and turned into Tuesday's Gone. Um, <laughs> uh, Rachel, what are your three favorite songs on this album? Number three is Sway because it just felt very 1970s rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Number two was Sister Morphine, which I know isn't a very popular one, but really good vocals on that. Mm -hmm. Um, And number one was Dead Flowers, just because the lyrics were super deep. And I love the fact that I had to look it up. It was pretty deep and I enjoyed that. My number three was actually You Gotta Move. I actually, I understand we were talking about where it's just somebody else's music, but I still like it. It's still, I can hear that song. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Now I want to go listen to Every single time. Just stop drinking it, Rachel. My God. (laughs) I don't want to be wasteful. I'm almost done. Proud of you. (laughs) Uh, Number two, Moonlight Mile. We talked about it. That was the one song on this where I really enjoyed Mick Jagger, where I really felt like he was being him. My number one, it's, I love it, is Can't You Hear Me Knocking. Mm. That is like with a bullet, my favorite song. Mm. I was trying not to talk about it too much before, but what Evil was saying about that, that guitar lick. Dude, it's nasty. It's just it's nasty. so, oh my God. Ugh. And then, yeah, and he goes in the chorus and he sings the Can't You Hear Me Knocking with the guitar yeah. right behind it. It's this amazing raunchy little that when i think of 1970 rock and roll that's exactly what i want to hear let's go on to who won the album i will start i am saying andy warhol (laughs) he made another stupid piece of shit art that people won't (laughs) shut up about and now you know my opinion on andy warhol rachel who won the album i was gonna say andy warhol but that's taken um, I put Levi Strauss, actually. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> Levi sales probably skyrocketed after this album went out. That's pretty good. Uh, Evil, who won the album? My original answer to this coming in was going to be Mick Taylor, but I think Rick Rubin, <laughs> his stock has skyrocketed. <laughs> <laughs> Let's rate the album. Rachel, was this, and I'm going <laughs> to just say that I think the answer might be no. Is this a 10 out of 10 album? Hard no. So rate it. I rated it three out of five joints. Blunts, actually. Blunts. Um, We still have a lot to teach you, Rachel. (laughs) It was was a solid 60%. I agree what Evil said about it kind of lost itself a little bit in the middle. And the the beginning and the end were good. And so I feel like a 60% is a solid grade. Uh, Evil, what about you? I will give it 7 out of 11 sticky fingers. I like it. (laughs) I gave this 6 out of 10 apologies to Rolling Stones fans. I meant this as a mea culpa. I did. (laughs) Just didn't end up that way. No, the Stones kind of fucked it up for me. I'm honestly really intrigued to hear the feedback on this episode because I feel like there are some good points as to why this album is not as revered as I remember it being. I do really like this album. We talked about a few songs on here that I I think are amazing. I agree. Having said everything that we've said tonight, I actually enjoyed the experience of diving into this. And I want to throw something out there. Yes, this album is like, there's all these five-star reviews and stuff that if you go back and that bank of four albums from what, 68 to 72 seems fairly untouchable. Bear with me. Coming into this, not being a huge Stones fan, not disliking them, but not really being a huge fan either. I still think that their place on the Mount Rushmore of rock can hold up for similar reasons to what we had previously discussed about Queen as a band. If you take Queen's greatest hits, they're like top five rock 
bands ever. Yeah. But if you go album by mm-hmm. album, there's stuff in there like we would probably piss off Queen fans just right. as much as we piss off Rolling Stone fans. Oh, absolutely. But if you take top Rolling Stone tracks, they're there too, you know. And mm-hmm. so, of course, Stones fans are going to revere Stones albums. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that people who aren't Stones fans can't also revere the band as a rock band. They're the Stones. They just do shit their way. And that's rock and roll. And we don't have to bow down to individual albums for that to still be true. One of the things that I wanted to end with is that because of the layout of the podcast and just podcasting in general, it makes so much sense to go albums. But there are certain bands where you will miss things if you go album to album to album. Sure. And I feel like the Rolling Stones are one of them. I'm not a huge Rolling Stones guy. I'm probably never going to be, especially after going through this album, which I thought was the one that I loved, that I really don't. I figured out that I don't, and that's okay. That's the other thing is, fuck it. We don't have to like the same shit, you guys. Like, who cares? Next week, we'll be talking about something else, and we'll get along great. So, no big deal. Rachel, how you feeling? Don't put that in there. <laughs> that is Guess we'll be mad. The only thing I'm going to put in is how many times you have said not to put things in. Stay tuned for next week. <laughs> next week is going to be fucking awesome. Next week, release right before Halloween. We're doing a Halloween episode. Spooky. We are having a special guest on by the name of Rachel Reeves, who has spent the last years and years interviewing people that do the scores for horror films. And what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about scores from horror films. I'm, ex- I'm really excited <laughs> for this. It's going to be awesome. Rachel, Evil, this was a very interesting episode. <laughs> I am excited to see. I'm honestly excited to see how people react to it. Versecoursefirst.com, at Versecoursefirstpod. That seems to be where we get most of our traction. Those of you that email, love you, keep emailing. Those of you that uh, message, keep messaging. That's that's all I got. I can't do anymore, you guys. I have nothing left. <laughs> have a good night. Miss you. <laughs> oh, I, oh.